Hello and welcome as we continue our study on prayer based on the book, Praying with Passion, Grounded in Obedience. In part one of our study on the authority in the name of Jesus, we covered how we need spiritual authority to do the work of the Great Commission and also do great and even supernatural things for the kingdom of God as an agent for Christ. If you missed episode 15, I think it would be very helpful for you to go back and listen to that now before we go further. That episode explains where we get our spiritual authority to do those great things in the name of Jesus. When I was in the Army, for about a year, I worked as the aide-de-camp to the commanding general of the 1st Armored Division in Germany. I was a combination executive assistant, traveling companion, bodyguard, and in the vernacular, his dog robber. By that, I would do whatever he told me to do or what he didn't want to do. On one occasion, I was tasked to deliver a very strongly worded and unwritten message to one of the full colonels who commanded one of the three combat brigades in the division. I was a captain at the time, also called an O3, and the colonel was an O6. That's a whole lot higher up the food chain than I was. But I was delivering that message in the name of and by the authority of the commanding general. The colonel was compelled under those circumstances to do what I told him had to be done. That message was delivered by me, but it was in the name of and by the authority of the commanding general. That worldly example of acting in the name of and by the authority of the general is much like what we are called to do in the name of and by the authority of Jesus Christ. By the authority of Jesus, we will be doing things far beyond our own power and authority. In one of our key verses last time, we see what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. When we break that down and really see what that verse is telling us, it can be very intimidating to us personally. So to make it a bit simpler, let's once again, as we did last session, break it down. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, the believer Jesus is referring to is you. It is me. It is all Christians bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And what will those people do? They will, according to Jesus, also do the works that Jesus did. Not only did Jesus tell us we will do the works he does, but greater works than these will that person do. Jesus has given us the authority to do not only what he has done, but greater works than he has done. As we examine the scriptures, looking for things that Jesus did, we find many acts of ministry. We covered this list last episode, but I want to go over it again briefly so that it will be fresh in our minds. Jesus was a counselor. He was a confidant. He was a friend. He was an intercessor. Jesus was a helper to those suffering and in need. He was an advocate for the poor, the weak, the needy. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a healer. He was a deliverance minister. He raised the dead. Jesus was a prayer warrior. He was an humble servant. He was a prophet, 
and Jesus was a miracle worker. Those works and so many other works, including many miracles, were the works of Jesus. He did those works through the authority of his position as the Son of God. We must come to understand that our authority is based on our position as well. As a believer and Christ follower, our authority is based on that position. With that authority, where do we go? Well, to all nations. And what do we do? We make disciples and observe all that he has commanded us to do. The issue for us then is this. What are we personally doing with that authority? What are we doing not only in our own life, but also in the lives of others within our dominion or under our influence with the full authority that we have personally been given by Jesus? This is not a rhetorical question. Remember, as I said last time, we are an agent of Jesus. By that, we have been given authority and responsibility to do things for Jesus. Agents act. Agents don't sit and watch or do nothing. Just as the parable in Matthew 25, 14 through 30 describes the three men who were given various talents, we are expected to do something with the talents, skills, and knowledge Jesus has given us. Just as those men were to use the talents they were given, we are to use our skills, talents, and resources that we have been given. We're not to go bury them in the ground, never to be used as one of them did. We cannot sit on what we've been given by Christ. We are to execute the Great Commission as stated above in the Gospel of John and do it in the name of and by the authority of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Failing in taking on our responsibilities and opportunities for ministry is the spiritual equivalent of burying those opportunities in the ground. Jesus also said this in John 15, 16. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Again, that verse talks about the name of Jesus. We have been given a job and that job is to bear fruit. That fruit includes the work we do in the name of Jesus as well as the fruits of the Spirit described in Galatians 5.22, where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit we bear shall abide. By that, it will last. That fruit will last not only in our own life and for our own time, but in the lives of others that we affect or influence, those within our dominion. That fruit may even bear positive results for generations to come by the actions we take now as an agent for Christ. As we think about all the things we could or should be doing, we may feel weak or insufficient to the task. We may feel conflicted because we aren't skilled at speaking or writing. Remember, though, that our power is not bound in our sufficiency nor limited by our own authority or our own talents. We have been instructed by Jesus to do good works using his authority. We are to bear fruit using his sufficiency. We are to do things in the authority and sufficiency of and in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. When we think about and wonder what things we can or should be doing, we again look at Scripture and look to see what Jesus did. 
We then look to see what the disciples did as immediate agents for Christ and under his instruction, much of which is described in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And then finally, we look to see what the next level of followers of Jesus did, the 72 others as described in Luke 10, 1, and also described in episode 15. For example, we see in Acts 8, 4 through 8, where Philip preached the word, healed the sick, and expelled demons. Those are supernatural things. Further, in Acts 8, 26, we see Philip. Philip was a teacher and taught the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. The eunuch accepted Jesus as Lord and was then baptized by Philip. The Bible tells us also in Acts 18, 24, of the call of Apollos, an Egyptian Jew, into the ministry and his accepting response of that calling. We see the heart of servants so many times. A good example is in Acts 21, verses 7 through 9, when the fellowship of believers served Paul while Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem. There are many, many more examples of common people stepping in to serve and assist others as the ministry was spread throughout the known world. We use those examples to find out from the then and there how to use the authority we have been given here and now. Again, we don't just sit on our authority and take no action. We act. Agents always act. So how do we act? What are we to do? How do we know when to act? There are so many questions we can raise, but I will sum it all up with one short answer. We act to please God. Whatever is good and pleasing to God are the things that we are to do within the authority of Jesus Christ. Our duty to act encompasses all things within the will of God. We know that even while Satan continues to roam the earth, as stated in 1 Peter 5, 8, ultimately, with the eventual return of Christ, Satan will have been defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. However, Satan and his demons continue to battle against us in our own time here on earth. There is an ongoing battle taking place, and we are in it. Therefore, as we act to please God, we will be acting to frustrate Satan's plans to defeat us and those we encounter in our personal ministry. Even as born-again children of God, Satan will continue to attack us and attempt to keep us from acting as agents for Christ. Therefore, acting to please God is a great part of our protection against the plans of Satan. When we are acting to please God, we are very much acting within the will of God, just as we discussed in previous sessions. There may be trials and tribulations involved, but acting within the will of God will always place us within the will of God and under His protection. I understand that many people may be very uncomfortable just thinking about stepping out and doing some of the things that are referred to in Scripture and in that earlier list of the acts of Jesus that I covered. Many of us are not naturally disposed to step out to speak or teach in front of large groups of people or even small groups of our friends and acquaintances. Keep in mind, though, that Jesus did not necessarily call you to be an evangelist or a preacher. Maybe you're called to be an encourager, a personal prayer warrior, or other form of servant. Frankly, cleaning the bathroom or sweeping the floor may be your calling, and your calling is personal to you and your skills, talents, and aspirations. The scripture said that Jesus sent the apostles and the 72 disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. 
you may proclaim the kingdom of God by your personal acts of kindness and ministry in the field of talent and responsibility that you have been given. Nothing in the kingdom of God is too menial or too insignificant. For example, you may not be called to go into a deliverance ministry or to engage in healing prayers. That is truly okay because, frankly, that probably isn't your calling. Whatever you are called to do in the name of Jesus is what you are supposed to be doing as an agent for Christ. Your personal calling, or commission if you will, is how you are to proclaim the kingdom of God. Using your authority in the area or field in which you are called will give you great peace because you will be involved in working God's plan. That peace may be filled with great activity and even challenges, but it will be rewarding godly activity. Being in God's plan will move us forward, giving us an abundant life filled with the blessings we so long for. While we can't work our way into heaven, working for Christ where we are called to work will certainly help heal our heart. And by doing so, it will allow us to use our personal ministry to help heal the hearts and hurts of others in our own special way. Being engaged in something larger than ourselves is always fulfilling, especially when that thing is for the kingdom of God. What we are called to do may not always be easy in the physical sense. In fact, at first it may indeed be awkward or difficult. But by doing what we are called to do, we will gain confidence and an inner peace with the knowledge that we are acting in God's will. We will be doing our part in fulfilling our role in proclaiming the kingdom of God. I encourage you not to focus on what others may be called to do or what others are doing. Focus on what you may be called to do. What do you believe you should be doing in the kingdom? If that isn't clear to you, spend some time in prayer and in the scriptures seeking the will of God in your life, just as described in earlier episodes. I believe you will eventually find an inner urging of the Holy Spirit to do exactly what he leads you to do. When that urging presents itself, be motivated to step out and do what you should do, not what someone else does or what someone else t tells you to do or asks you to do. If you focus on being like someone else, you will find yourself disappointed, confused, and guilt-ridden, which is the exact opposite of the abundant life Jesus has in store for you. Your background, talents, and gifts are uniquely yours. You are uniquely and wonderfully made, and Jesus loves you, and he has plans to prosper you, and doing what he has called you to do will be part of that prosperity plan. Try to look at yourself through the eyes of Jesus as he sees you, a unique and wonderfully made person. After all, Jesus loves you unconditionally and without reservation. In our personal time of prayer, seek God's direction of how to use this authority that we've been given to act as an agent for Christ in your own unique and fulfilling way. That will set us on a course to heal our hearts and to influence and help others we contact in our daily life. A person with a true servant's heart will rarely feel disappointed and put upon when engaged in service to Christ. 
with an understanding of who we are in Christ and how we are to act as an agent for Jesus, get engaged in this spiritual battle that surrounds us. As I said earlier, we are engaged in a spiritual war with Satan and his minions. We have no choice in the matter as Satan has attacked us and will continue to attack us because of who we are in Christ. The how-to on that always provides the difficulty. The battle may not be easy. Earlier, I talked about my military background and some of the things that make me unique. At one point in my military career, I was a war plans officer, tasked with designing and implementing plans and orders for what we called mobile armored warfare, using heavy tanks as the primary weapon. My duties included planning for the use of all types of combat forces, such as those tanks, but also including infantry, gunships, artillery, as well as logistics, intelligence, and all of the other resources to put together a sustainable and winning war plan. In the same way, all the resources we have as Christians, the various talents, skills, and capabilities of many Christians, work together to accomplish the will of God. Just as the military puts together complex war plans, we Christians, through Christ and working together, have a complex war plan against Satan. Yes, as individuals, our role may be fairly simple, yet it is always vital to the overall plan of action. I also learned that one of the basic requirements for planning a successful military operation is to first know your enemy. In our situation, Satan is the enemy. Satan is your enemy. Satan wants to destroy you. That's you personally and by name. Satan has you in his sights. As mentioned before, Satan is the thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you, they, us, may have life and have it abundantly. That's in John 10, 10. Satan is that thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy that may sound frightening, but here is a truth. We have been given the authorities to successfully resist Satan. James said in James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we realize that basic truth about resisting Satan and take to heart that we are engaged in a spiritual war in which Satan is trying to kill us, that understanding will then change our attitude, our words, and our actions. It will give us the ability to focus on what we are called to do in that war. Combat tends to give a person pinpoint concentration and focus on what is truly important, and our combat with Satan is real. In our quiet time, we may come to a moment when we look out and see the magnitude of the challenges facing us in our lives and in our culture. That can be very daunting. Those challenges affect our attitude and emotions, just as the challenges of warfare affect the attitude and emotions of a soldier, even a well-trained soldier. Keep in mind, just as soldiers are trained for combat through discipline and instruction, we are to be trained for our spiritual warfare through discipline and instruction as well. Training includes study of the Bible and other lessons such as those contained in the book and in these studies. In the military, training starts with the individual completing individual tasks and missions. Training then moves to small groups, again completing small group tasks and missions. 
Training then involves larger groups, progressing to even larger groups, and eventually the entire military become focused on large missions. Christian training starts at the personal level as well, as we acquire individual skills such as prayer, regular Bible study, and fellowship with other Christians. Our training then moves to small groups where we work as a team to accomplish the things Christ has called us to do that are beyond an individual's capabilities. Teams come together then to accomplish greater tasks that require more complex resources and effort. Those larger combinations of teams include our life groups, our churches, our Sunday school classes, our ministries, our Christian schools, and our Christian universities. It all starts, however, with the individual. If the individual is not trained and committed, the small teams will fail, the collections of teams will fail, and the mission of fulfilling the Great Commission will fail. We will not be able to act in the name of and by the authority of Jesus if we don't prepare ourselves to be ready to do what we are called to do. As individuals, a great part of our training is that we discipline ourselves to not let our attitude or our emotions or our words give in to Satan. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over our attitude, emotions, and words. The battle belongs to the Lord, and we, using our authority in the name of Jesus, are his soldiers. We discipline ourselves to not give in to the fear, anger, bitterness, profanity, words of doubt, or words of unbelief, which are all things that Satan will use against us. We have support in our individual effort, not only through our relationship with Christ, but also through our association with the team we have joined. Next time, we will continue this study by looking at the words we use. Almost all things begin in the mind or heart of the individual and come out through the words. We should be aware of and think about the words we use every day in our life. Words are so very important. I will see you next time, and may God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace.